Welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, this is the place to find broken and beautiful companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Here, you'll find embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners, just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of Dorothy Day with the pastor and scholar Tim Tseng. I'm delighted that you're here with us. Nobody triggers a guilt trip quite like that troublesome saint, Dorothy Day. Here's her story. As a little girl born in New York in 1897, Dorothy was fascinated by the saints of her Catholic tradition, those people who ministered to the sick and the suffering. But something really bothered her. Why all this energy spent toward alleviating the effects of evil? Why not work to overturn the social systems that cause the suffering, she asked. Well, if mild, pious Christians weren't going to actually change the world, then Dorothy was determined to do it without them. After college, she threw herself into progressive politics. She wrote for socialist newspapers, marched with pacifists, was arrested with suffragists, She was energized by the activist life in Greenwich Village alongside like-minded pacifists, anarchists, and atheists. In time, Dorothy would end up out on a Staten Island beach living in an unheated fisherman's shack with the man she loved. There, surrounded by the beauty of the natural world, Dorothy felt the pull of the spirit. She wrote privately, I'm surprised that I am beginning to pray daily. Praise of God came to her unbidden. She found that she was praying out of simple, natural happiness. And when she gave birth to a daughter, Dorothy's joy was complete. The final object of this love and gratitude she knew was God. When she joined the church and had the baby baptized, The result was a painful split with her beloved partner, a man whose honest and independent atheism led him to agree with Marx that religion is the opiate of the people. Dorothy herself was conflicted. She was worried that she'd become one of those Christian hypocrites. She wrote, I felt I was betraying the class to which I belonged, the workers and the poor of the world with whom Christ spent his life. What Dorothy wanted was to bring her newfound love of God together with her lifelong passion to transform society for the better. Dorothy and her daughter moved back to New York City, and there she met Peter Morin, a vibrant Christian of an unconventional sort. Peter Morin argued that the surest way to find God and to find the good 
is through service to one's brothers and sisters. It was the time of the Great Depression, and the city was filled with desperate, unemployed, and homeless people. Peter and Dorothy started the lay Catholic worker movement, determined to live out Jesus' commandment to love these needy neighbors, quite literally and personally, without imposing conditions or limits. They welcomed strangers. They shared everything. Their first Catholic worker house of hospitality started a whole movement, and it's one that continues to this day. A Christian witness to nonviolence, voluntary poverty, prayer, and inclusion. With her passion for reform, Dorothy did combine works of mercy with a daring brand of what she called political holiness. She took direct action for justice and peace as a way of serving Jesus. And to the critics who were puzzled or offended by her blend of piety and politics, Dorothy would say that, yes, it really is raving lunacy to give up your own bed, your food, to any old stranger in need. But that needy person has not arrived to symbolically remind you of Christ. No, in plain and simple and stupendous fact, she said, your guest is quite literally Jesus. Christ is really all around you. And he's meeting you in friends and outsiders. The glass of water that you give to a beggar is given to Jesus. In the end, Dorothy says, we will be judged by our acts of mercy. Heaven hinges on the way we act toward Jesus in his frail, ordinary human form. In the needy people right in front of us. Eternal life begins now. So we'd better get out there and make a difference in Jesus' name. Dorothy Day is often quoted as saying, The coat which hangs in your closet belongs to the poor. What am I to do with Dorothy's challenge? I mean, I know very well that at least one extra coat is hanging in my front hall right now. I may point toward the enormity of boundless human need, I might claim that my efforts are doomed to failure. Dorothy Day does not let me off the hook. She declares that my actions are measured not by success, but by love. And if I love Jesus, then choosing to serve is simple. Dorothy shared not only her spare jacket, but also her apartment, her food, her security, her energies, all in the name of Christ. And yet she said, don't call me a saint. I don't want to be dismissed that easily. At the end of her memoir, The Long Loneliness, Dorothy writes that heaven is a banquet and life is a banquet too, even if all that we have to share is a crust of bread. Hers is a vision of companionship, of evenings on the beach with friends and family, praying with eyes open to the glow of an eternal life that begins now. It's a beautiful image, but living the vision every day is not easy. I've never offered a bedroom to a complete stranger, and I doubt that I ever will. I don't give cash to every person who asks. I've seen needs and let them go by without lifting a finger, even when I could have spoken up 
stepped in and tried to make a difference. In the Gospels, Jesus himself tells me that I can rely on God to provide for all my needs. And Dorothy has convinced me that Christ is in every person I meet. She constantly reminds me of this truth, and she pushes me to act as if it is actually true. Dorothy both attracts and repels me. She's a loving, troublemaking follower of Jesus who lived what she believed. She's a saint who won't be easily dismissed. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, come on by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and invite your friends to join us. Now, for my conversation about Dorothy Day with Tim Singh. To talk with me about Dorothy Day, I'd like to welcome my friend Tim Sang. He works with InterVarsity Fellowship as the Pacific Area Director of Graduate and Faculty Ministries. Tim is ordained in the American Baptist Church and has pastored Asian immigrant churches in the United States. He holds a PhD in the history of Christianity. Tim, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Glad to be here. So, Tim, you grew up in New York. Dorothy Day grew up in New York. Where did your two New York experiences intersect? Probably when I was studying at uh, Union Theological Seminary. I mean, I grew up in a conservative evangelical Chinese church and didn't know anything about about social justice um, ministries or or even urban types of um, uh, ministries to, to the immigrants until I went to Union and discovered that there was this entire conversation uh, about how faith can transform uh, social structures. And, and that's when her, you know, her story was brought to my attention. And, 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 and afterwards, I, I realized, oh, now I get it. Now I know why everybody at Union talks the way they talk about their faith and about the social issues. <laughs> that's so great. So I wondered... You know, in New York City, in the Depression, we hear about Dorothy Day's experience of working with um, all these political activists. I mean, what was happening in the Asian community during that time, during the 30s and 40s, when she was active? I think there was a quite a bit of parallel. Uh, I mean, I, I did some, a little research about uh, a woman named Mabel Lee, who I guess would have been Dorothy Day's um, contemporary. And she worked yeah. in Chinatown and she, she inherited her father's church, the Chinese first Chinese Baptist church of New York city and turned that church into a, a an outreach to the immigrants and children of Chinese immigrants uh, who were at the time very disenfranchised as well. So that was one example. And, and there were others um, in, in universities, for example, the YMCA sponsored a number mm-hmm. of um of fellowships for different ethnic Asians and in, in each of these campus, these were campus fellowships in different colleges. There was a strong social activism that also accompanied the, the Christian fellowships. Uh, and many of the members of the Christian fellowship wound up becoming either pastors or social activists in, in their lifetime. 
We hear Dorothy Day speaking of political holiness. And to the end of her life, she was very active, engaged in anti-poverty initiatives, anti-war. She was arrested as an old lady. We see her coming out of prison in her 70s, I think. And I'm wondering, where do you see this idea of political holiness happening now in the American church? Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Where to begin? It, it's a it's interesting because I'm often unclear myself about how to interpret the political activism that's happening today. Much of which is um identified with the religious right. <laughs> so yeah. maybe in to some extent you can consider that a holy uh a holy politics, but the value systems are different from Dorothy Day's commitment to the poor and to the urban context. But um, if I were just to step back, I'd, I'd say that maybe that's one form of holy politics, holiness, politics and holiness. But um, I also yeah. see it in, in, in American progressives. Um, there are several movements of um, progressive Christians who are partnering with uh, people of other faith to address issues of, um, of immigration and um, uh, racism and, and other types of forms of injustice that I think are, are more aligned with Dorothy Day's uh, approach to, to social justice and social action. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm always troubled by so many things that Dorothy Day says, but one of them, when she says, if you have two coats in your closet, one belongs to a poor person. Mm. What do you do with that? It's really hard, isn't it? <laughs> she, I guess she and Peter, both of their, their radical um, discipleship or their radical decision to follow Jesus in that manner is very hard to, to live out. And, I'm, and they are people I admire for trying to do so. But I think that despite that, it's harder to engage in direct action and social and structural transformation than to be generous. Uh, giving one coat away giving things away is easy if you have the means. And, and the fact that they really didn't have much is, is very admirable. But I think it's more difficult to to commit to political action than, than to just simply give away things that we have excess of. Um, but yes, yeah. but even that is hard. <laughs> right, right, right. That's really, that's a really helpful point. And it's, um, it's just not the way we live right now. Um, who do you think would get really excited about Dorothy Day when you think about maybe the, the graduate students you know or people in your different spheres of influence? Um, who would you want to tell about Dorothy Day? I think her story should be told to every uh, young adult Christian <laughs> simply so yeah. that there's an opportunity to see this this legacy, this tradition of, of really caring for those who are um, most impoverished and disenfranchised. I think our historical contexts have changed, so this it's important to be reminded. Catholic workers largely worked in among urban white immigrants who are Catholic in background, are their children. But today, I don't think we see too many too too many situations where Christians work with with uh, workers or with the labor movement in, anymore. So I think it's useful yeah. to be reminded and and to to see this as a continuing option. For, for many of our young uh, adults who are searching for vocation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think to lift up her story to young adults who have one perception of Christians, yes. and they may be, you know, the white conservative evangelical, I mean, whatever label you want to put on it, she really offers a radically mm -hmm. different 
example of what the Christian life can look like. Yeah, a number of, of, of folks today who are who are trying to emulate or at least um, follow Christ uh, the way that Dorothy Day did, such as Shane Claiborne and the Christian Community Development Association, and so so there are examples, uh, and many I know who who are trying to follow Christ in this manner. I think what always warms me to Dorothy Day is uh, that it was beauty that really brought her to God that drew her into prayer. I mean, she never gave up her political holiness work and her acts of mercy, but um, she also found beauty in on the beach with her child in the natural love of her family. And I, I love that too, because I think for many of us, we feel like social justice or you know making a difference in the world means giving up maybe those warm human connections or, or losing, sacrificing mm. beauty. I, I feel this. I feel the same way. I, and also in my own journey, there was a point in my life where I basically reduced my Christian faith to social activism or uh, addressing uh, addressing some of the structural sins of the world. So Dorothy Day's experience of brokenness and finding God anew and, and capturing that beauty, as you mentioned, is really inspirational. I, I, I to this day I just can't divorce um, my personal connection to. To God, with with my desire to to see God transform this world in in, in in a redemptive way. Yeah, yeah, and I I see her too, so rooted in her spiritual mm-hmm. practices, where she went to mass uh, to service. I think every day. I mean, she was grounded in prayer, and that's I think another thing that we often give up when we uh, don't have time for that. You know, we need to get on with the important business of changing the world. Where as important as that was for her, she couldn't do it without prayer. Yep. And I hope that that's a message that our younger activists uh, learn because it's so easy to get burnt out when you're uh, trying to uh, make some changes, some necessary changes in in a very uh, broken system that we live in. Yeah. Well, thank you for um, speaking with me about Dorothy Day and thank you for all the ways that you are part of this movement, you know, to um, see God's kingdom come more fully in the here and now, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. By now, you know that Dorothy Day sets off feelings of guilt and inadequacy in me. But look, Dorothy tells it like she sees it when she says, People never mean half of what they say. It is best to disregard their talk and judge only by their actions. And she's absolutely right. How good it is that there's someone out there who demands more than lip service of us so-called good Christians. If you and I believe that Jesus Christ is living, present, and active in the people that we meet, then we will respond with mercy and generosity. We'll change our lives. So let's begin. In Dorothy's words, we must keep repeating these things. Eternal life begins now. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and I'm the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. 
I'd love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Theological Horizons. Come by my website, KarenWrightMarsh.com. You'll find out more about the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast, get show notes, and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. You can download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. I hope you'll support the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast with a tax-deductible gift to Theological Horizons. Go to theologicalhorizons.org slash giving or donate on Venmo at theological-horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.